Palm Sunday, Jesus arrives for us, I've called it. Um, I think Palm Sunday gives us a healthy warning against two things, loving money and being proud. Loving money and being proud. There's a real warning that comes through in this story. And when I preach, I tr someone said to me once, we're human beings, not human doings. Um, like God doesn't want us to just behave ourselves and do a list of jobs for Him. He wants us in our being to love Him. So I always try and lift up something of Jesus so we're in awe and not give like practical tips because I just think, well, what's the point? But today, there's no escaping that there are two whopping big practical tips for everyone listening here. If you want to know the Lord Jesus Christ and have your sins forgiven and rise from the dead and enter glory forever after your time here is up. There's two things that really can help. So we're going there. And the Palm Story Sunday um, <clears throat> basically can trace its way back thousands of years. So I'm going to divide this up into three. Another thing I hardly ever do. We'll call the first bit way, way back. The second bit way back. And the last bit now. Okay? And hopefully we'll get this important point. So way, way back with the Palm Story Sunday, there's a chapter in the Bible called Genesis chapter 22. It's way, way back. And there's an early picture in it of the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in Genesis chapter 22. And there's a man who's a dad and he's called Abraham and he's told to sacrifice his son, his only begotten son, the text says. Isaac, the son's name was. Now, Abraham, way, way back, knew and trusted in the living God. And the living God is a death-defying, death-defeating God. So Abraham knew that this was a picture of the resurrection story, which hadn't happened yet, but he was looking forward to. Because anybody who trusts in the living God this morning don't need to be afraid of death, because he's a rising God. He's a death-defying God. He's anti-death. And Hebrews 11, which talks about the Genesis 22 story, says, Abraham knew that God could raise Isaac from the dead. So he knows what's going on. And last week, we had a funeral here and of a Christian who trusted in the same death-defying Lord. And though it was sad, it was also remarkably full of hope because we have a death-defying God who's walking towards death for us on Palm Sunday. And so the first gospel question for anyone listening is, if you are scared of dying, then the Palm Sunday story, even from way, way back, is for you. And you can turn to this death-defying God right now in your seats. I could stop there, but I won't. Genesis uh, chapter 22 the event with Abraham and Isaac happens on a mountain called Mount Moriah. That's where Jerusalem would later be built. That's the exact same area where the other only begotten son from way back would also go and die in a resurrection story. In Genesis chapter 22, the father and the son go to the place of sacrifice together. And Abraham is confident that there's a bigger picture going on here. And he says to his son on the way there, God himself will provide a lamb as a sacrifice, my son. 
And the two of them went on to Mount Moriah. And Isaac is carrying wood, which he's going to lay on as a picture of a sacrifice. Later, way back, another son, an only begotten son, Jesus, would carry wood through the area of Mount Moriah, except his was the shape of a cross, and that would be his altar. Then, in a very moving account, which you can read this afternoon in Genesis 22, it's the Lord Jesus himself called in chapter 22, the angel of the Lord, calls out down to Abraham and Isaac and says, all right, stop, it's enough, while the son looks like he's about to be killed. It's enough. The scene is set from way, way back. It's done. The warm-up act to the main event has been completed. You get it. That's enough. And I do wonder with what tone of emotional voice he called from heaven because he knew soon it would be him on the wooden altar. It's a very moving account as he would stand in the place of Isaac and die for the sins of the world. And then he goes on to bless the church. And he says, right, God's going to provide a lamb here one day. God's going to provide a lamb and death is going to be destroyed. And that message from way, way back has been the blood and the heartbeat of Abraham's family, which is the church that we've been grafted into ever since. How is death fixed? Something has been provided to destroy it. And then Isaac gets off the altar and is returned back to Abraham. And Hebrews 11 says, um, He received Isaac back as if from the dead. The resurrection story has happened. And ladies and gentlemen, the Bible then makes this point very clear. There is no story more important in world history than that story on Mount Moriah of an only begotten son who's a sacrifice and destroys death and is risen again. Like the Bible talks about the Persian Empire in about a sentence. The Egyptians, they get about a paragraph. The Romans, they don't get much airtime. The Greeks, they come and go in one chapter of Isaiah. The whole of the airtime of the book that God wants to give us isn't about those empires, it's about this. A son is coming. Palm Sunday is coming. Someone is riding on a donkey to get rid of humanity's biggest problem. That's all God cares about. That we get it this morning. The gospel. In Luke chapter 13, Jesus says, Oh, I've got to go to Jerusalem to sum up everything that's written in the scriptures. Everything. They're like, Well, you're going to sum up the whole Bible? Yeah. Well, what's going to happen? Me, the Son of Man, I'm going to be handed over. They're going to spit on me. They're going to mock me. Uh, they're going to flog me, they're going to kill me, but then on the third day I'm going to rise again. That's the Bible story. That's it. That's all we've got. That's all they ever banged on about. In Luke chapter 24, he comes alongside some people and says he opens their minds and shows them what the Scriptures are all about. Right, what's it all about? He says, oh, the Messiah's going to suffer and rise again on the third day. There's no other story that humans need to grasp than that way. Forget EastEnders and neighbors, and Formula One, this Palm Sunday story is all that's written in the book that we all need. And that is way, way back. 
So we ask some questions then. Well, when he comes, how do we get involved? If this is it, this is the story, how do we get involved? What have I got to do? What do I need to avoid if something blocks me from getting involved with this story and him dying my death? If there's something that stops me, then I don't want to do that because I need to get involved. And so we leave way, way back. And now we go way back. Jesus has been born of human flesh. Will he be welcomed on Palm Sunday by people? Because nothing else matters. Here comes the second Isaac headed for Jerusalem. It's weighing on him. Probably has been from Genesis chapter 22. Probably even older than that. It's weighing on him. How do we know it weighs on him? Because in John chapter 8, his accusers say, oh, you're about 50 years old. But he's not. He's early 30s. How do you look like that? You carry the weight of your world on your shoulders. In the funeral last week, <laughs> it's quite funny, there was a husband and a wife. And someone, and they were standing together, and then someone asked the wife, is this your son? And the wife was heartbroken, and the husband was on cloud nine. She was mortified. Do I look that much older than him? How did that happen? He was loving it. With Jesus, though, it was the opposite. He looked old, older than he was. If he stood next to his friends, you might say, Are you Jesus? is Jesus your dad? Because he looks so much older than you. And if there's anyone here this morning who's like, does the living God really get what I cry about or what I carry or what's aging me? It's like, yes. Yes, he does. You're in this Palm Sunday story. Jesus was aged because of the burdens he carried for his people and the places he went for them. Here's what it meant, this trip on Palm Sunday. Luke 13, he says, I must go on my way today, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish anywhere except in Jerusalem. So Jerusalem meant one thing for Jesus, certain death. And not a heroic death. He says, I'm going to perish in Jerusalem. And it's weighing heavy on him. And way back, he arrives. And there's a mixed crowd. Some receive him. Some reject him. Why? And this is the point of the Palm Sunday message from me to you. Picture the crowd. It's a bit like this one here. Would have looked the same. The dress code would have been different. And the text says there are children there in verse 16. And they're praising Jesus. And the children actually quote from Psalm 118. And they say, save us, Lord. Lord, save us and send us prosperity. Help share your goodness with us. Help! Often you'll find children love Jesus. And they're a big part of our church and all churches. When you tell children that someone's come to destroy death, they're like, yes, I'm in with this one. They, someone who chases away nasty things, or oh, I'm in with this guy. He's my hero. Okay? Why are they like that, where some adults aren't? I'm not saying all children are, but when you spell out Jesus to children, they love him. Why is it that they are there praising Jesus when some adults aren't? Well, 
my mission this morning is to help us say no to the love of money and no to pride, because these seem to be the blocking points for people being saved and knowing the living God. And I venture to say, though I know full well children are sinful, they're not quite yet fully in love with money, are they? They're not mapping out all of the things that they plan to do as they have worldly aspirations all about themselves where they are the God of their little kingdom. They're not quite there yet, though they are sinful like the rest of us. There are lots of verses about trusting in the Lord while you're young because it seems as we get older, we get all these strange and sinful aspirations and our hearts can get harder and harder the older we grow. So there are warnings Come to the Lord while you're young and help your young children to know about who Jesus is. It's life-changing. And they don't have to go down the routes that some of us have gone down which have ruined our lives. And sometimes children stop loving Jesus and they grow out of it. And here's an interesting point before I move off the children. The Bible says it's never because there's lack of evidence for Jesus that people stop loving Jesus. In fact... No atheist today would dare say there's no evidence for Jesus, who he was, and his resurrection from the dead. That was a little fad in the 1960s with atheist historians. No one ventures to say that there's no evidence for Jesus. No one does that. So when children grow out of them now, out of their love for Jesus, it's not because there's lack of evidence. The Bible says it's because they start to love things more than him. And then the Bible lists what it is. Themselves and money. Keeps coming back, see? Themselves and money. That's why we pray for people who don't know God yet. So, because unbelief isn't like a lack of evidence of cerebral problem. It's a heart problem. We start to love things more than we shouldn't. That's why we pray that the Spirit would help them to see Jesus again for who they used to see Him as. So keep praying for your children. So they're there. And they love him. And then there's a group of people that don't. And here's what's fascinating. The children are singing a psalm, and it's also a very convicting, damning psalm about the people there who hate Jesus. And they sing a psalm, and in that psalm they say this, and we said it in the liturgy. Jesus is the stone that the builders reject on Palm Sunday. He's like a stone that these other people who have built a temple-type religion, they've got no place for the stone of Jesus in their lives. So there's a group of people there. They've built a religion. It's got nothing to do with Jesus. It's like they've built this temple, and now arrives Jesus, and he's this stumbling block stone which has got nothing to do with the religion they've created. And now we come to the main point. We're told the two bits of evidence why they reject Jesus in their hearts and they end up then rejecting themselves and perishing. Verse 14 and 15. Here it is. The blind and the lame came to Jesus at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple, Hosanna! They were indignant. They were proud. Here's a question. Why does anyone get angry over someone being kind to blind people and to lame people? 
Why would you be angry at Jesus doing that? Here's the answer. You think you're above blind people, disabled people, poor people, lame people. How do you get there? You're proud. You look down on other people. So when Jesus comes and helps these people, they hate it because they've created a world of strong people. And if there is a God, he looks like me. And we get rid of weak people and sinful people. We get rid of them. And if God looks like me, he would vote like me, and he loves me, and he's strong like me. So Jesus comes and walks straight past them and goes for the weak. And they hate it. And here's a second warning. It's not just pride. In Luke chapter 16, it says the Pharisees who loved money sneered and hated Jesus. It goes hand in hand. There are people here this morning who are proud. You also probably want lots of money to bolster yourself up so you can show off that you're above other people. If I got money, it shows that you're below me because I'm above you. It's as simple as that. And in Palm Sunday, way back, the two worlds clash. The proud and the lovers of money building up a passing kingdom whose affections and love are all about me, my job, my exams, my education, being comfortable. And Jesus, who says, all of that is going to rot away. You need me. You're heading to death. That stuff's not going to help you. You need me and the riches of a kingdom which is lasting forever. Make your choice. You're proud. You love yourselves. You love this passing world. And then there's me. And those are your two problems on Palm Sunday. And he gets to the temple, and they're all there, and they're doing this little financial racket, a corrupt racket, and he comes and churns the whole lot out. Incidentally, you were supposed to pay about 4p for a turtle dove back then. Inside the temple, the corruption had got so bad, you'd have to pay 20 times more, up to 75p. Um, they were really just doing this financial racket. Jesus checks them all out, right? This place is meant to be a temple for people to pray. Stop lining your pockets, sinners. This place is for poor people, for sinful people, for the weak, for the dying, for the tax collectors, for the prostitutes. On Wednesday, we were talking to Andy um, about going out on Thursday. You wonder how many people quietly love Jesus among the homeless. He came for people like them. And the children cry out, Save! Deliver us! And in the men's meeting on Sunday, and in the prayer meeting on the Wednesday, and at the meal tonight, guess what we're going to do? We're going to come alongside each other, and I'm going to say, how can I help you? How can we help each other? How can we get through this life together and all cry out saying, save us, help us, because that's church life. And that was way, way back. And now we come to now, to close. Jesus has arrived. He did die. He is risen. He's ascended. And he's looking over Cardiff this morning. What does he find on Palm Sunday? He finds people 
largely in the Western rich empire, reducing our existence to live for nothing but things of this passing age. He finds people who'd wish he'd shut up. He finds people who think he's narrow-minded. He finds, he finds people who are like, I don't want you to interfere in my life. The bad news is there's a Pharisee in all of us. I wake up each morning and I've got desires to chase after money and put myself number one in my own passing kingdom. We've all got those desires. So I close with this appeal on Palm Sunday, right now. Will you join me in renouncing the worship of worldly passing treasures and pride because they seem to be killing us? Shall we ask for forgiveness together on Palm Sunday? Shall we ask for new aspirations to be holy, to be godly, to serve the church kingdom, not this passing kingdom? And it does seem to be the case that when we renounce those things and ask the Lord to save us, He guarantees we will rise from the dead in our souls and we will rise from the grave bodily on the great last day because those seem to be the principles of the world to come. Way, way back, way back and now, the Lord Jesus Christ set His face to go to Jerusalem. He set His face to die for us. Remember that he had a nature just like yours. He would have been frightened. He would have wanted to shrink back. He would have maybe wanted to get married, have children, have grandchildren, have high esteem in the community, live a long and comfortable life. He had a mother. He had brothers. He had a special place he'd like to walk on the mountains just like us. And he turned his back on it all and set his face towards a vicious whipping, a beating, spitting, mocking, and crucifixion so that we will never enter death because that is how he entered it for us. So on this day, Lord help us say hallelujah, what a savior, and get our priorities right. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.